Raising Unicorns. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Raising Unicorns. I am Shane Rickard and I am joined today with the one and only amazing Kellen Erskine. It's time to chat with a legend. That's legendary. So Kellen is one of uh, the writers that's worked with us for uh, quite a few years. How many years has it been, Kellen? Uh, 2018. So 25 years. Do the math. Five years. Yeah. 2023 minus <laughs> minus 2018. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five years. Yeah. Yeah. Give people your your background in comedy and like kind of where you got like where you are where where you came from and where you are at this point. Yeah. Started doing uh, open mics uh, when I was 23. Happened to live in the San Jose, San Francisco Bay Area, which happened to be at the time just one of the like few great spots for comedy in the whole country. Um, so started hitting those mics, sports pubs, bars, uh, coffee shops, places where they would just most open mics are a place where on a random day of the week, somebody decides to impose a comedy show <laughs> unsolicited to the public. And they're like, I just want a coffee. Great. Now I got this comedian hucking jokes at me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so I'm sure it's a very warm reception every time you go, right? It's incredible because it is like with stand-up, you have to learn on the job. There's no other way to do it. Yeah. No matter how many times you practice in the car in front of a mirror, you just cannot do it. <laughs> you can't replicate the energy and the feedback. Yeah. And-, and without strangers... Uh, in front of you, exactly. It can't even just be like an audience of your family. It has to be people you don't know. And then in these environments... <laughs> because they don't care about you. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> they don't care if they're mean to you. And that's where honesty comes from. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but what I love about stand-up is like, uh, uh, we have the luxury versus most other emotions is that like the the response laughter is it's involuntary yeah and so and especially strangers aren't going to fake laugh at you so you have this like real-time instant feedback loop um in the worst conditions possible (laughs) (laughs) just it can be the biggest high or the most devastating low possible So I worked through those. After a couple of years, I started getting into the clubs in the Bay Area. And it's crazy with stand-up. Like the, there's, you know, they say there's six degrees of separation. There's really just one in stand-up. So like once you get like a tight eight minutes, already I, w- I was working with like Norm MacDonald, Bob wow. Saget, Robin Williams, like these big giants. Why did you name every comedian that is now dead? <laughs> <laughs> was that subconscious? <laughs> it's no, like, I name dropped them because was... now they're legends because they're dead. That's the type of comic. All right, let, let me redo that. Groucho Marx, Bob Hope. Nah, still no. <laughs> Groucho Marx. How old are you? Are you ageless? <laughs> I'm saying back in the 2000s, these pre dead comics. <laughs> <laughs> I started getting around the circuit and then, uh, you know, the more time you spend in an area, the more opportunities you get. And it just got to the point. Everybody says like at some point you have to move to LA or New York, especially as yeah. an actor, but it, it works in the entertainment industry. It's changing now because of the wild west of social media. But at the time it was LA or New York. 
So I do that for eight, nine years in the Bay Area, moved to Los Angeles. We had a five-year plan. Um, if I don't get an agent in five years, <laughs> we have to rethink everything, right? And uh, yeah, I fought that fight for three and a half, almost four years and finally got that got that agent. And uh, it really shows how much an agent, especially at the time, was a rubber stamp that was needed uh-huh. because I had the material just getting better and better at it. And that's something like advice that I give every comic, you know, like anyone in the entertainment industry is that like everyone wants to be discovered. But what was comforting me along the journey is like, fine, but until I get there, I'm only getting better right. until I get there. So that when I got there, I already had like this pack of ammo that I would not have had. And honestly, like the, my bike lock joke, um, which was like the highlight of my dry bar and the Conan set that I did. I was on Conan. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it happened just a few and months. Kimmel. <laughs> I developed that just a few months before I got my agent. And so anyway, with all oh, really? of that, yeah. How close was your getting your agent to Drybar? Was that uh, close or was it like... It was less than a year later. Oh, so wow. I get the agent. That was like all super tight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it all sort of happened in a row. Um, got the agent, um, Drybar... And then Conan, yeah, that all happened the same year. That's wild. That's crazy, man. So that was it. So then that was when I was introduced to you guys too. And it was neat because speaking of COVID, like it was at least like, um, I had a lot of comedian friends who literally also had been on TV and now they were literally driving for Uber again. And so to have Harmon Brothers and to lean into that a little bit more, at least it's sort of a lateral move. At least I'm still writing jokes. Yeah. Even if all of them aren't just for me, like at least I'm, uh, you know, making fun of pancakes (laughs) while the world burns. (laughs) When you're actually like watching TV or you're like on Instagram or whatever, I don't know, are you on TikTok? I have been. What type of content or like what type of ads specifically would you say would like are the ones that you're like, that was a great ad. Like I really like that ad. So like what 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 does that ad look like and why do you like it? The difference is for me because I know that you guys talk about this too. Like sometimes even if an ad is memorable, it it might not be connected to the product. And so you remember the the ad, like the outpost is a big example of that. Those ads in the nineties where they're like shooting gerbils at the word outpost, just trying to get it in the in the O. Or like the unleashing the pack of wolves. Yeah on the field. field Marching band. (laughs) And to this day I still don't know what outpost did. And I don't want to look it up because I never want I won't tell you. <laughs> so yeah, anything that's funny and funny out of the gate. Uh, uh, we were talking just recently about maybe my favorite ad of all time is the McDonald or the Burger King one. Oh, yeah, when the Burger talk- King King, I don't want to give away all of it, but essentially the Burger King King, the creepy king head that they did a lot in the 2000s. Such a bizarre <laughs> marketing move. <laughs> just, they were like, it, how about instead of funny, we just go disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> he puts on a like a robber, a burglar mask. He hops a fence to this looks like a McDonald's factory or office building. He breaks in at night with a flashlight, opens a file, and pulls out the the folder for the egg McMuffin. And it's because Burger King was making their own breakfast sandwich. And the end of the ad was, yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I just <laughs> this, so unabashed. Like, yeah. But like, that's such a good example of like, it stuck so well, like to exactly what they were trying to convey the whole thing, like all the setup was around the recipe and him trying to go steal it. And it was basically like, yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. It's like, oh, now they yeah. do an egg McMuffin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is which is what all of us would have thought anyway. So it's like you're beating us to the punch. 
You're making a joke out of it. So now instead of the public going, you're just copying McDonald's, it's like, ha ha. They know they're coming. <laughs> You're like, we did. And we said that before you could. <laughs> yeah. So I love, I love that layered on top of all the humor is now this just owning the thing, like yeah. owning what could be negative. On the same topic of like really effective ads, I'm going to like, I guess a really good example with the Burger King one, but there was one that like, I remember when Dave Vance, which who was also the co-host with Kellen, of the Bookpile podcast, their incredible podcast. I'm not kidding you guys. I'm not just saying this because I know Dave and Kellen. It's so good. They, I mean, you could say a little spiel about it if you want. Oh yeah, it's a comedy podcast about books. Uh, I feel like we're fair to books. We talk about every episode is a different book. We talk about books that we love, sometimes books that we hate. Some of my favorite episodes are our roast episodes. We've roasted like The Da Vinci Code. Twilight, uh, the novelization of the movie Transformers. Dude, that episode was so <laughs> good. If you only if you only listen to one, but you should listen to many. The Transformer one, absolutely, like it was <laughs> so good. It absolutely laid me. I was so funny. <laughs> it's not so much that we summarize books; we just pull out uh, lessons, a lot of like creative lessons from fiction and nonfiction. And um, we put a lot into it because Dave and I, we prepare half of what happens on the podcast so that there's jokes, we improvise, and then afterwards, I edit it and I cut out all the boring stuff. So. It's a very tightly edited podcast. There's one joke that Dave wrote that was so funny. It was for... Um, I don't, I don't know if you've seen this one, but it was a the De- Angels and Demons epi- or episode. Angels and Demons uh, ad we did for VidAngel way mm. back in the day. Yeah. And it was basically saying... The joke setup was like, Sniper without a little, well, without all the swearing, or Transformers Four without all of it because it's a terrible movie. <laughs> but it was like a setup of like you know the rule of threes of setting it up and establishing expectation, and then like just was so punchy and so funny. But it also was such a good joke because it was still explicitly explaining what the product did. It was very clear. It's like you're filtering out what you don't like and you can filter out an entire movie if you don't like the movie, which is absurd, posturous like idea. But it was so funny. And that was consistently like... And that ad is... I, we should tell Dave this. He'd be proud of this. That ad is still running. Whoa. Six years later, I was, we were talking <laughs> to the CMO of, of VidAngel because now they're separate from Angel Studios. But he was like, yeah, man, like that's still going strong. Like that one's still crushing it. And I was like, oh my gosh. That's amazing. They yeah. probably put like... I don't know. It's I don't know how many millions, but literally millions of ad, dollars of ad spend over the years on that thing. <laughs> what I love about that too, and that's something that I learned early on with Harmon Brothers, is that idea of you can't have a joke just for a joke. Which, yeah, which was which is what I was used to. That was like the learning curve for me, just coming from pure joke writing into ad writing, where every every joke serves a purpose. Um, an additional purpose, which I already am on board with because I already try and do that anyway. Like if yeah. you can layer um, two like more forms in obviously in stand up, it's like, can you get two different jokes into a joke? Yeah. Um, can you, can the setup be a joke? Like, so I'm, I'm all for like condensing stuff as yeah. much as possible. And so that was neat for me, a new exercise, a new way to, to filter my writing as I'm going through after the first draft is like, cut this, cut this, cut this. Or can I change this joke that is tangential right now uh, and get the product or the problem or the solve in there somehow? Yeah. yeah. And that's what I think... This is my personal belief on this. I think that the like one of the biggest impacts we can have as like writers and like marketers when we're working on especially comedy stuff 
is that if we make the, the jokes centered around the product and its value props, because otherwise you fall into that same trap of the outpost.com stuff. It's like you can have the, some of the funniest, most outrageous crap, but if you don't connect it in a really meaningful, memorable way to what the product does, most of the time it's just going to like be completely lost oh, on, yeah, on consumers. Thank you for watching Raising Unicorns! Subscribe now. Stay tuned next week for part two.